Thank you for tuning in today. My name is Frankie Mazapika. The title of the message is Sitting at the King's Table. Sitting at the King's Table. I'll tell you where I'm getting this message from. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 9, and I just want to share with you uh, verse number 3 and verse number 7, and we're going to build uh, the entire message off of those two verses. This is what it says. In verse 3, it says, uh, The king then said, Is there anyone still alive from Saul's family? If there is, then I would like to show them God's kindness. The person he was talking to was one of his servants. His name is Ziba. And Ziba said, Yes, there is. One of Jonathan's sons is still alive. Now Saul was the king that David was referring to. David was the present king. He was referring to Saul. And Saul had a son named Jonathan. And Jonathan and David were very, very close. They were best friends. And, um, but the entire family of Saul had died. And so Ziba said, hey, uh, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Verse 9, it says this. Uh, well, before I get to verse 9, um, David said, you know, what's the, what's the young man's name? And it's Mephibosheth. Everybody say Mephibosheth on three. And you pronounce it Mephibosheth. All right, one, two, three. Yeah, let's do it again because now you said it, it's kind of fun. All right, one, two, three. <laughs> Mephibosheth. Uh, Mephibosheth, he says, I, I want to see him, bring him to me. But Mephibosheth was scared. Because his grandfather, Saul, his father, Dave, uh, Jonathan, and the rest of his family were all killed in that very city at that very time. Some of them were in the valleys and in the mountains during the time of war. Some of them died out there. But he ran, not literally. Uh, someone, a nurse, picked him up because he was just a baby at the time and ran away from those who were besieging the kingdom. And as she was running out, she dropped him and both of his legs were crippled for the rest of his life. And so now David is summoning him. I want to see you. Come to the kingdom. I want to see you. So Mephibosheth is scared. He doesn't know. Uh, he's been living in isolation. He's been living in a place called Lodabar. Lodabar has no grass. No one wants to live there. No one commu even communicates with people who are living in Lodabar. It was like the slum. He's been hiding out there his entire life. All of a sudden, David says, I want to see him. So he comes walking in, not walking in, they carry him in. Uh, he's a, a young man now, he's afraid. David looks at him and he says these exact words, verse number nine, don't be afraid for I intend on showing you kindness because of the promise I made to your father, Jonathan. I am going to give you all of the property that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you are going to sit with me and eat here at the king's table. 
So I'm going to talk about, in a very short amount of time, I'm going to talk about three things that I believe Mephibosheth was thinking while he was sitting at the table. The first one is nearly obvious. He was thinking to himself, I am not worthy to sit here. I'm not worthy to sit here. And keep in mind, he's showing up broken, wounded, and he's been forgotten his entire life. You know, there's, as a, I have an eight-year-old, and the worst thing that, that happens in her life is, is that she can't be on the computer. She can't be staring at a That's the worst thing that could happen in her life. But as you get older, you experience some heartbreaking moments. And they come real quick and real abrupt and they hurt. And there's a limp, there's a limp, there's some brokenness. And, and we all do the best we can to overcompensate for it. Uh, we're grown men, we don't have time to cry. We're, 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 we're ladies, we don't have time to cry. We're parents, we gotta take care of things. Don't take me down memory lane. I don't feel like it's going to help me anyway. I don't have time for that. We have learned to overcompensate brokenness. But to all of a sudden be summoned to the table, he is sitting there knowing that he has brokenness, knowing that he's unworthy to be sitting there. I mean, my goodness, all of a sudden, these, the servants are coming in. They smell like perfume, they're wearing silk, they're floating on air, they got rings, they got, they got you know, what are those birds with the, with the, 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 the peacock? They got peacock feathers. And he's sitting there like, what is going on here? It smells like potpourri, there's, there's grapes in the middle of the table. What is going on here? You know, I, it's funny. Because um, when I was 19, I was trying to get into the ministry. I wanted to get into the ministry, but I had been acting like a fool. That's an understatement. A fool all through high school. As a 19-year-old, I, uh, I, I was a freshman in college. That wasn't going very godly. Everything was not going good. But I was trying. I was, I was like really trying. And um, I, I didn't know that the strength came from my prayer life, not from my discipline. I didn't know that yet. But I was trying, and this preacher came from out of town to preach at the church. And everybody knew the preacher. And in those days, after this out-of-town preacher, this evangelist, in those days when they're done, they would like escort him to another room, and they would feed him, and some other people could be there, and there was a table in the middle of the room. We don't do that stuff now anymore. Now it's kind of like, hey, we'll take you to Subway. But anyway, in those days, there's like this big round table with peacock feathers, and that's the head table that only the evangelists can sit at and other important people. And then the rest of the people like me, all the minions and, and scum, you can go sit in the bathroom at these other little tables around the main table. And I walked in, it was after service, and the speaker was there, I was there, and we were the only ones in the room. So it was awkward. So I'm like, I gotta talk to this guy. I'm like, hey, how are you? And we kinda hit it off. You know, we're talking about sports and stuff like that. And then, and so I'm, I'm awkward because I'm looking down over him while he's sitting down. And so I'm like, gosh, I got to sit down. So I sit on the corner of the seat, non-verbally saying, I know I don't belong here. I'm going to get up. Da, da, da. People start coming in. They come to sit at the table. I stand up and I'm like, all right. 
It's been nice talking to you. I'm going to go and sit in the bathroom where I belong. You know, it's got all these little tables and, 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 you know, you get like Taco Bell and everyone at the big table gets like, you know, rump roast or whatever. Is, is rump roast? A... <laughs> anyway, they're eating really good over there. So I go to stand up and the speaker looks at me and he goes, sit down. You belong at this table. And I'm like looking around, I'm like, I don't want to get in trouble. And there's other big, big names coming to the table. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm allowed to sit here. You don't know what I did last night. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to be here. And, and I believe that Mephibosheth was feeling something like that. He's like, I don't think I, I belong here. I want to say this scripture to everybody in this room. In Romans chapter 9, verse 12, it says this. That the Lord has called his people, but not because of their good or bad works. David did not call Mephibosheth to his kingdom to sit at his table because of anything good he had done. There was no interview with Mephibosheth. King David did not sit down and say, okay, what have you been doing for the last 20 years? How many people have you been nice to? How many people have you been mean to? How many people have you cursed at? How many people have you blessed? Are you a jerk? There was none of that. It was because of who he was. He didn't call him because of his good works or his bad works. He called him because of who he was. If when that moment happens where you get to experience the presence of God, you are going to be overwhelmed, overwhelmed on what his love feels like. You can be overwhelmed and you will realize at that moment. It is not because of the good things you've done and it's not because of the bad things that you... All of that is moot compared to how much he loves you. Right now, he's looking at you with love. He's not thinking about all the things that you did last night, last summer, last year, last decade. He's not thinking about that. He's looking at you and he loves you. He loves you. See, the grace of God can cause a broken tree to bear fruit. Have you ever been driving down the road and you look in a field and you see a tree that's down, but it's got branches and green everywhere. You're like, well, that's crazy. It's broken, but it's bearing fruit. This is what God does. The second thing that I think that he was thinking about was he was thinking, hey, sitting here at the Lord's table, at the King's table, you see the parallel, sitting here with David, the table comes up to here. So as I'm sitting in the presence of the king, no one can see my brokenness. When you are in the presence of God, your brokenness is not being acknowledged. It is being forgotten. It is unseen. Your brokenness is unseen. He does not see it. In the presence of God, healing takes place. Now, for all of us that would love, would love to be able to sit down at a physical table with God and pull up to a table, look at Jesus and feel that, there is a way. There is a way. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, the Bible tells us how to do that. How to be able to pull up to the table and everything else just goes away. 
In 7 verse 14, it says this, 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14. The Lord says this, if, so not everybody's going to say, I'll do it. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. It's so interesting to me on how many Christians genuinely believe that they can live in sin and they're going to be I. That's cuckoo. When you know you're living in sin, you are responsible for the decision. You understand? All right, this just got real awkward. Let's just move along. I'm not taking it back. I'm leaving it out there, but that's not what my sermon's about. But look at my face. When I came across this verse, I stopped praying like this. I stopped putting my head down. Now my head is up, my eyes are closed, and I'm visualizing his face. And what I've learned, and you can try it for yourself. Some of you are way beyond me. You've been doing this for years. When your eyes are closed, and to the best of your ability, you are visualizing his face. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, it says, Everyone who worships, worship with your hands raised. When you are visualizing his face and your hands are raised, you have just pulled up to the table. It is amazing on how all of the sins go away. How all of the worries, all of the mistakes, all of the sin, it is no longer on your mind. The only thing that's on your mind is his face. You are at the table and you begin to experience an intimate relationship with him. And the longer you sit at that table, the longer you sit there, the longer you visualize his face, the more you talk to his face, all of a sudden the intimacy begins to rise. It is just like any other relationship. The more you sit across the table from a person, the more you begin to understand how they think, the more you begin to understand how they feel. And when you pull yourself up to the table, I can promise you, while you're in the presence of God, you will not be thinking about it. You will be thinking about what God is thinking about because you're at his table. And you will begin to think about wonderful things. And I can promise you this, if you live your Christian life like this, like this, like this, that is what you're going to experience in church, in your relationship with God. That is what God, you cannot look at God and go, go, go. I've heard about it, go. You if you did that to me, I'd be like, <laughs> that's what I would do. You don't look at me and go, Don't look at me like that. Look at your wife like that. Go ahead. You can't look at people like. It, and God doesn't work that way either. But if you came to me or if I came to you, you go to your wife, you go to, your, you go to anybody and you're like. like well, what's up? Are you with me? Say yes. You go to God and you go. Close your eyes. All of a sudden, that relationship begins. So you don't know what's you don't know what's under the table. I don't care. He doesn't care. Are you with me? Say yes. Come on, put your hands together for that.
And can I tell you, the longer you're at the table, the more often you come to the table. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I can't, I don't, if I had every word at my demand right now, I still could not communicate what the presence of God feels like. I still couldn't do it. And the more you go to the table, the more you experience it. Number three, last and final point. Wouldn't it be a wonderful story if that's where the story ended? You know, David, King David, is there anyone from the house of Saul still alive? Bring him in. I want to show him God's kindness. Here comes Mephibosheth. He's crippling both legs. Pull up a chair. And it lives happily ever after. But that's not how the story ends. If you go to 2 Samuel chapter 16, Mephibosheth decides to walk away from the table. Not just physically, but also physically. He pushes himself away from the table. Pushes himself away from the food what's being presented to him. Pushes himself away from the relationship. Pushes himself away from the, 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 the intimacy. He pushes himself away. How so? King David had reached a point in his reign one of the lowest points of his life. He was, people were threatening him to take his kingdom. And so what do we do when we get depressed? What do we do when we get down? We withdraw. It's not the best idea. It's the worst idea. But we withdraw. And so he gets on a horse and he just starts riding off. He, I guess they're taking my kingdom. Have you ever had a bad moment and you think you're going to lose everything? And then you look back on it and you're like, what a knucklehead. We were I, He's like, he's, he's gone. Where's King David? He left. He's given up the kingdom. The devil said he's coming. He's coming. He's leaving. Everything's gone. All of a sudden, Ziba goes to the kitchen and pulls out bread and sandwich meats and wine, gets on his horse, catches up to King David, catches up, and he says, hey, I brought you some food. David looks at Ziba and goes, man, thank you. Tell me, how, how's Mephibosheth doing? Oh, you're not going to believe this. I'm sorry to tell you. He's, he's, he's trying to take over your kingdom. He's sitting on your throne, in your throne room, and he's ruling your servants around, and he's beginning a, to build a, and rally people around him that's going to vote him in and anoint him to be king. And David looks at him, are you serious? He was, he was my son. We, we drank together. We ate together. This is my son. I know, I'm sorry. See, what happened with Mephibosheth is all of a sudden, the intimacy got trumped with personal ambition. Personal ambition. If we can remember anything today, the ambition, of a man will push himself away from God. You got to be so careful. There's a fine line between needs and wants. There's a fine line because once have we all lived enough life to know that more always wants more and more wants more and wants more and we never have enough. None of us ever have enough. I can promise you 
if someone put a million dollars in your bank account, you would say in a matter of time, that's not enough. And I know what you're thinking. Let's try. <laughs> I'd like to try. Just let me try. We always want more. And all of a sudden, Mephibosheth pushes himself away from the table of relationship, the table of intimacy. They laughed together. They cried together. They walked each other back to the, to the rooms after dinner. He pushed them on wheels. He probably picked them up. The king picked them up. And all of a sudden, gone. He pushed himself away from the table. If, if I could implore you, implore you, regardless of how busy that world gets. See, outside of this sanctuary, it's crazy. Inside of the sanctuary, it's peaceful. Why is that? In Psalms 26, verse 8, he says, I love to come to the sanctuary of God because it's where his presence dwells. But when you get on Highway 45, Highway 59, Beltway 8, 610, it's hard to find God out there. Are you with me? Say yes. It's hard to find God out there. And when everybody's yelling in the office and chaos, 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 it's hard to find God. But when you pull yourself up to the table, you begin to experience him regardless of where you're at. So you say to yourself, practically speaking, Frankie, talk to me. Talk practical. I see the parallels. I see what you did with the story. I see it. practically. How do you pull yourself up to the table? I'm so glad you asked. I'm so glad you asked. Pulling yourself up to the table is a place of intimacy with God. And how do you get intimate with God like that? You become aware of his presence around you. You just take that moment and you're like, God is here. The moment you do that, you have sat at the table. You are aware of his presence. That is so critical. Because we can live our whole week, a whole month, a whole year, and walk into room, into room, into room, into car, into car, into restaurant, into restaurant, and never be aware that we are literally walking in the presence of God. You are, the way we walk in oxygen is the way we're walking in the presence of God. In Acts chapter 17, verse 28, it says, In Him we live and breathe and find our being. We are in his presence. And the moment we become aware, we have now pulled ourselves up to the table. And then when we begin to communicate, we begin to spark intimacy with God. Simple things. Simple things. Smith Wigglesworth once said this, I don't always pray an hour a day, but an hour doesn't go by without praying. You're always aware of his presence and you're always praying. And the moment we stop being aware and the moment we stop talking is the moment we begin to step away from the table to engage in other aspects of our life. We've got to become a person who never leaves the table and learn how to live our life from the table. We're in meetings, but we're still at the table. We're in the car, but we're still at the table. We are cooking, we're still at the table. We are always at the table. We never leave the table. When you're sleeping, before your eyes open up, you're at the table. You're aware of them, you're talking with them. You never, ever, 
ever leave the table. Are you with me? Put your hands together for that. Never. Never leave the table. I've known some people that sat at the table, that walked away from the table, and they walked away for so long, they forgot how beautiful the table is. They forgot how wonderful it is. And then they begin to doubt what they once felt because they've been away so long. I want to tell you, your seat at the table, it's always, always available. And when you sit down, and every single one of you this Sunday morning, you worshiped him, you are sitting at the table right now. Don't ever stand up. Don't ever walk away. Do you receive that? Come on, put your hands together one more time. I'm going to play a video for you right now, and I'll tell you why. I love seeing the results of staying at the table. When you are constantly aware of him, you're constantly talking to him, you become just like your father. You begin to think like him. You begin to talk like him. In John chapter 14, verse 12, it says, Anyone who believes in me will do the things I have done. The things. What things? All those things. All those things you're thinking about that Jesus did, we are to do. But we got to sit at the table. We got to stay aware. We got to keep praying. I was washing the dishes the other night. A couple weeks ago, this, this moment, I was washing the dishes and I was like, God, I want you to wash me like this. Stay at the table. The more you do that, the more his fruits, his gifts begin to flow out of your life. And that's when you begin to see people that you love. Instead of wanting them to have a good life, you see them have a good life as a result of your presence because you're at the table. You're talking with God. And when you pray with them and you pray for them, things happen. Things happen. Things happen. Let me show you this testimony right here. Take a, take a, uh, Back in a April of 2021, my wife and I had come to church, uh, went out to lunch afterwards and went home, sat down on the side of the bed, began to changed my clothes and I started feeling a very sharp pain in my left lung and within a minute that pain started making its way up towards my head and stopped on uh, the left side of my head probably within another 30 seconds I lost all ability to speak my wife laid me down on the bed I just asked God if this is going to be how I die please make it quick I don't want to suffer I don't want my wife and kids to suffer and he just said, it's not your time. Doctors started running battery after battery of tests and they had diagnosed me with what is a mini stroke, a TIA. Running their tests and giving medicine, they were able to relieve 99% of all the symptoms within 24 hours. The left side of my face was still numb and I had a piercing headache on my left side. Six, seven, eight weeks later, we were back at church again and. Pastor Frankie had a, a word of knowledge on somebody with numbness in their face. 
And I was like, man, that's, that's me. I felt I was numb from the center line of my face over. And as they're praying, just my face, I started getting feeling back and it's no longer numb. Got to the point where I was having my severe headaches and within 10 seconds, gone. They weren't there, they were, they were no longer existent. I owe all the, all the glory and praise to God and I thank Pastor Frankie for having that word of somebody with numbness in their face so that I could be healed of that and no longer afflicted with that. Let's all stand to our feet. The common denominator in this room is every single one of us needs a miracle right now. Every one of us has the common denominator in this room. Some of us, it has to do with our children. Father's Day is painful for you. For whatever reason, maybe your father wasn't the greatest. You feel like you have not done a good job. These, these are things that only God can fix. People come to this church that, that don't attend our church. They come specifically because they need to get healed and then they'll go back to their home church. And that's a beautiful thing. But every single one of us, maybe it's in our marriage, every one of us, maybe it's finances, needs a miracle. And I, I show that testimony on the screen to say, if he's done it once, he'll do it again. I'd like our prayer partners to come down in this uh, down and make themselves available to you. The altar is something made of wood, steel, or stone that things die on. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. And it still exists today. This is, this is not a stage. This is an altar. And whatever you want to see God alter in your life I'd like to encourage you in a moment to come down here and pray now for those of you who say I don't need to go to the altar I can do it right here it wasn't my idea to come up with an altar it was God's idea it wasn't my idea something made of wood, steel or stone all the way back to the book of Genesis it wasn't my idea so if it's important to him, there must be something that happens at the altar and only at the altar. If your heart were to stop beating in the next five minutes, are you 100% sure you know where you'd spend eternity? Scientists have figured out how to do a lot of things. They cannot start a heartbeat. They don't know how it started. 
It starts when God says start, and it stops when God says stop. You don't know when that last heartbeat will take place, but you know in your heart if you're ready to see him. You know. You know if you've been just playing around with him. I'll come worship you every now and again, and during the week I'm pretty much going to live the way I want to live. But I believe in you, so I know everything's going to be fine. If you're being honest, you don't know what it's going to look like when you stand before him. That, that has to change today. I, I need to pray for someone before I open up the altars. And if I'm talking to myself, then I'll own it. But if it's God talking to me, I believe you're going to get healed. Is there someone here with an esophageal, um, either uh, esophageal cancer or you're having trouble swallowing? It's not cancer, but you're having some trouble swallowing. Um, I feel like I need to pray for you. And... I'm going to really reach on this one. And if it's, not, if, it's, if it's just me talking to myself, we'll find out in one second because nobody will raise their hand. Is, is there something dislocated or, um, with your right eye? It's like a lens or, or something's... Something needs to be put back together in your right eye. And that's, those are the only two I want to put out there. And if I'm talking to myself, that's fine. I'll say, hey, I'm sorry I was talking to myself. But is there anyone who's having trouble swallowing or they have esophageal cancer? Or there's something with your right eye that's detached that needs to be put back together. Is that anyone in this room? Just raise your hand if it is. Here, let me see. It might be more than one person. What is it? Okay. Your your sister has a detached cornea in her right eye. Okay. What is it? You're right your son had cornea replacement. What is it? it was, what is it called? It's called an EOE. It was with your esophagus, you're having trouble swallowing. Can't see out of your right eye? Not at all? Just, just shapes only. Yes. No. It, see, this is what I love. Okay, you're going to get healed. That's a given. But what I love is when someone comes down in their immediate family. In their immediate family. Like your, like your children, which is the case right now. I want you to come over here because you're the person with the esophageal issues. You're with the right eye. Something's detached. You can only see shapes. But this is, this is beautiful right here the only thing I'm asking you guys to do I'll deal with you guys in a second you too 
Promise me. I'll say if, but I mean when. When you see the healing, promise me you'll email the church and tell me. Because I live off of healings. There's a lot of people that get healed and they don't tell me. And I get discouraged sometimes. I get discouraged a lot. And just at the right time, Debbie will come tell me about someone who got healed in our church. And I'll go from being down to up in a nanosecond. That's the power that testimonies have. And so when I talk about this, I'm like, guys, please, please share it with me. If, if just for selfish reasons, uh, they lift me up so much. All right. In every other, and if you're skeptical this morning, that doesn't mean you're evil or bad. That means you're a cognitive thinker and you need some more examples. That's all it means. But I want you to come down if you have any need in your life at all. The Bible says if you're ashamed of God in front of man, if you're ashamed of Jesus in front of man, then he will be ashamed of you in front of the Father. And sometimes we don't want to step out and get our life right with God because we feel like it's going to mess up other things in our life. Or the people around us is going to be staring at us for the rest of our life. And we're like, you gave yourself to the Lord. You made a decision. Now look at you. This is all whispers of the enemy. Trust me. Sitting at the table is the most exhilarating, beautiful moment that you can possibly experience.